welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Hello, I'm Zachary Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica, and we're here for another Clean Tech Talk interview. Today, we're interviewing Brian Manel, Chairman and CEO of TechMet. And Brian is in London, but the company is based in Ireland. So we got a sort of cross-continental perspective today on a matter that we've often talked about in the US context or American context, talking heavily today about the battery mineral supply chain, battery supply chain and uh, forecast for the coming decade. But to start off, Brian, can you just give us a little bit of an introduction on who you are, how you got into this space, and who TechMet is? Sure. I've been in the mining and metals business all of my working life, originally in South Africa, which is where I'm from. I created TechMet in its present form in late 2017 as an investment vehicle to build projects that produce or process or recycle what we call technology metals, but which are essentially the critical minerals that go into the EV ecosystem and the energy transition more broadly. So we have various projects around the world quite heavily weighted towards the US. So of our nine operating subsidiaries where we're funding either expansion of existing production across these key metals or or late stage development projects um, for in the US. And, And in fact, we are somewhat... We're entirely U.S. aligned from a geopolitical point of view in as far as the U.S. government through the DFC funding agency is one of our biggest shareholders since their initial equity investments in TechMed in, in 2020. So we're very, you know, we, we, we not only are scaling production in the space um, with ESG compliance and no low carbon footprint, but we're doing it entirely independently from Chinese involvement, which obviously, as we all know, dominates across the global supply chain of all of these critical uh, metals. South Africa, there's obviously one very well-known South African in this in this industry, but also talked a lot with uh, Rodney Hooper in from RK Equity from South Africa. You guys know your mining down there. Know you know your battery. Yeah, battery I know you're mining for a while. Yeah. yeah. So. We can start with actually that Chinese topic just to make sure everyone's on the same page. So I'll let you talk about it a little bit more. But just recently, when we sort of were diving into the Inflation Reduction Act and its its battery elements, you know, we just looked more more closely at not just lithium but other EV battery minerals, and it's basically between sixty and one hundred percent of of any particular component of a battery is at least processed, if not mined in China. Lithium is about 60% processed there. Uh, graphite, 100%. Cobalt, somewhere in the middle. So you have just this, this definitely like, you know, we talk about OPEC with oil, but mm-hmm. the concentration of of of, of output and, and power mm-hmm. in the EV battery mineral space in China is is really unmatched even in, it's, you know, it's, it's about as 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 uh, unbalanced as it gets. Can you just speak a little bit more about that and your perspective on on what that means? Sure. China's done an incredibly successful job over the last 15 years in securing control 
over the primary resource, be it at home or be it cobalt in the Congo or be it lithium out of Chile or Australia or elsewhere. And more importantly, as you mentioned, processing capacity in China to turn these raw materials into high purity metal chemicals that go into cathode precursors and batteries, et cetera. And we're not just talking about lithium batteries. We're talking about rare earth metals going into permanent magnets for electric motors in cars and in wind turbines and, and a range of other key components of the energy transition. So they've been doing this while the United States and the rest of the world were sleeping and we've lost a war that nobody knew we were fighting till we lost it. And that has massive implications. You know, China will, we, we are in a new Cold War environment, whether we like it or not. And the relationship between China and the United States will have considerable ups and downs over the next two, five, 10, and 20 years. And therefore, for China to have such an overwhelmingly dominant position in these critical minerals will be used by China. It'll be used by China in two ways. One is as a tool in any escalated trade war or, or, or diplomatic discomfort or conflict. And secondly, and more importantly, to advantage their domestic industry relative to the industries in the US and elsewhere. You know, if there's a limited availability of lithium and cobalt and nickel and rare earth metals, and that availability, all those supply chains are controlled by Chinese companies, obviously, they're going to sell to Chinese producers of batteries and electric vehicles continue to supply the Teslas and Fords and GMs and VWs of this world. And up until now, they've been able to do both. And when, you know, Tesla in Nevada wants to increase their production, they have been able to rely on Chinese sources of supply for most of the inputs. And that will not necessarily be the case in two, three and four years time. Therefore, we've got one number one problem. In fact, number two problem is China. Number one problem is structural short supply of the metals going into lithium-ion batteries and other energy transition technologies, which is very severe. Yeah, we'll come back to that number one problem in a sec, just to close on this China situation. So, you know, China's got about 20% of new vehicles are new energy vehicles. Europe's uh, close to that. U.S. is at 6% last last quarter, which, you know, is much much smaller. It's been growing fast as well. But at this stage, it's at the point where, you know, China's not going to twist the twist the twist their arms on it. They're not going to use it at this stage. They're, they're, it's it basically small enough part of the market that where it wouldn't be enough of a threat. But the point is that when we're at fifty percent or something of EV market share, to have one country control so much of your automotive industry is it's not, it, not even if it was our best friend, you wouldn't want to be in that, that situation. So it's I think it's really important that people like you are bringing this out right now. Yeah, because it might be 6% today, but as you said, it's growing quickly and all the big OEMs are fully committed to electrifying their fleet over the next three, five, eight years. And that's irreversible. So if you're a Ford or a GM committing tens of billions of dollars to building capacity in partnership to manufacture batteries and electric vehicles, you need to be pretty sure where the inputs are coming from if you're going to maintain your market position and employment in Detroit and elsewhere. And they have done a lot of learning in that regard. And there's a lot of 
concern turning to panic, but there's still quite a way to go to yeah. balance China and ensure preferential access to product to feed this EV ecosystem, which is unstoppable and inescapable in terms of its exponential growth. I, I think, you know, if you agree with me. Yeah, and I would like to come back to the Inflation Reduction Act and what the US is doing, what Europe is doing to try to build up more bigger industries there. But first, yeah, let's jump to that that number one concern of yours, just lack of supply in general for the forecast. I think what I see often is, you know, we, we have a lot of EV enthusiast readers who are have been following this industry for a decade or longer, who who see, you know, tech adoption curve trends and S curve and all that and and think, oh, it, the market will work itself out. That's how it does. That's how it works in these things. Whenever we talk to like really deep battery mineral experts, they're like throwing up red and orange and yellow flags, you know, saying like like we we have to pay attention to this now. There's not the there's not the pipeline of of mines and refinery refineries in place to to meet the forecasts and the goals that a lot of people have set out. So, what's your perspective then on that? What what's your perspective sort of on the twenty 22 to 2025 time frame the 2025 to 2030 time frame and i'm gonna you have a lot of time to talk about this so, so please take mm-hmm. as much time as you want because yeah. i would like your your perspective just sort of on what's in place now and what needs to change to to, to deal with any potential issues right now yeah i'm less worried about 2030 onwards you know you're right the market generally takes care of itself so high prices result in stimulating more supply that will eventually balance with demand. But we have a one fundamental problem here, is that a new mine and metal processing capacity takes on average 7 to 12 years to build, and the average battery gigafactory or electric vehicle manufacturing facility takes two or three years to build. So we've got the industry growing very rapidly and fully and in a you know, inescapably committed to this transformation. And we've got our industry, the metals and mining industry, that is waiting for sustainably high prices in order to justify the investment in new capacity to meet the demand. And we're going to have a two, three, five, eight-year time gap, which will result in us having higher metal prices for longer and result in very severe constraints with respect to how that growth in capacity is going to be fed with inputs. And there's going to be some big losers because the companies that prepare less well to engage in that supply chain, invest in mining and minerals to have preferential access to product are going to lose because if you spend, you know, if you're BW and you spend $60 billion electrifying your fleet over the next five years, and you wake up in five years' time and you can only utilize half of the capacity you've built because you just cannot secure the units of nickel and cobalt and lithium to feed your battery factories, you, you know, your existence is going to be in question. So, you know, now's the time when countries and companies will, you know, need to decide whether they're going to be one of the winners or the losers. And the winners need to take equity risk in mining and metal, which is which is tough for, for car companies because it is a different industry, different set of risk factors, different set of, of, of value drivers. And, you know, they're not that high up the learning curve. Historically, the GMs of this world have been able to rely on the fact they're big companies that everybody wants to sell stuff to. 
and they've been able to squeeze prices in order to maintain their margins and everybody would run around and do what they had to do to be a supplier. And that's no longer the case. You know, we're now in a seller's market for all of these key inputs into an EV ecosystem, which is very different to the ecosystem leading to petrol and diesel engine vehicles. Yeah. So this is, I think, one of the hardest things for us to get insight on is the automaker behind the automakers' uh, doors. So, you know, we've been hearing this this kind of concern, this this uh, story for two or three years, I think. We've had podcasts about it on, from many different people. So I'm sure, you know, all the automakers, all those head CEOs and managers of automakers have been hearing this story as well. And we see announcements about battery pack factories, sometimes battery cell partnerships. But it's, it's hard to get real clarity on how much automakers are doing to deal with that long, you know, time frame needed to secure battery minerals. As you said, you know, earlier, the battery mineral companies are, you know, holding out for better prices. It's sort of like a old West US, you know, Western cowboy standoff, you know, both mm-hmm. standing there ready to pull the pull the gun, but but not, you know, who's going to go for who's going to go first Who's going to go given, you know, I don't know, but I'm mixing metaphors here because we actually want mm. people to, to pull the pull the gun and jump in. But basically, yeah. aside from the weird American uh, metaphor, what can you say about what you've seen with automakers in the past couple of years with regards to the minerals and refining side mm-hmm. of the supply chain, not just the battery packs and cell yeah. No, there's been enormous progress in as far as when we were speaking to automakers even a year ago. They were saying that we know we need these product, you know, these materials in much greater volume than the world has produced them in the past. And we want offtake rights to your production. And we want some sort of price smoothing and price advantage relative to markets because we know the prices are going to up, go up and be volatile. And in return, we'll lend you our name. You know, so we'll give you certainty of demand. And we'll allow you to use our name so that you can validate your projects and be more financeable. And we were saying no. And everybody else was saying no. So they have all come around to the realization that they're going to have to invest and take equity risk in the development of mining and metal processing projects in order to secure preferential access to product to feed their EV programs. So that's massive progress. And they're all doing it. Um, so you're still breaking up a bit, but I mean, all of the automakers have now got teams looking at this and, and all of them are doing offtake agreements in many instances linked with some sort of pre-financing or equity type participation in project development. And, and I, and, and, but it's in many instances a bit too little, a bit too late, and they need to do a lot more of it if they're going to adequately feed their EV transformation and and participations that have been announced by the automakers, I'd say half are real and the other half are speculative and involve participating in projects that may or may not happen. And I'm not sure there's enough in an understanding of our industry to judge what may or may not happen. You know, there's an assumption is that if you've got a feasibility study and you look pretty you're going to produce a project that produces what you say you're going to produce when you say you're going to produce. Our industry is littered with projects that 
don't happen in the way they look like they should happen or take a lot longer or cost a lot more. So there's still a degree of, there's still a, a, a long way to go for automakers to fully appreciate the dynamic of our industry and make the right calls as to who to put money into to secure the, the, the metals that we need. Uh, so what's your, do you think automakers are getting, are going to get even more ambitious, get more deeply into this in the next few years? Or are you concerned that they might stagnate a bit at this kind of half and half level? No, they have to get more into it and they know they have to get more into it and they're going to be a lot more deals and they're going to have to be a lot more imaginative and aggressive if they're going to survive. I mean, it's a systemic risk to their existence. If you're an automaker today committed to electrifying their fleet and you don't you know, get very imaginative and very aggressive with respect to nickel supply and cobalt supply and lithium supply, in four or five years, you will not exist. So, you know, there's no question they're all going to accelerate their programs to do that. So let's move to the political and policy side of things. We can actually start with Europe, because I think Europe has sort of recognized this issue a little bit earlier. Although, yeah, what's your sense on what Europe or specific European countries have done to kind of address this this mineral and refining sourcing issue? Yeah, I'm not a great expert on Europe, even though we're a European company, we've done much less in Europe than we have in the States and, and certain other parts of the world with respect to interfacing with um, end users and with the regulatory and political environment. The European Union and certain members of the European Union, most notably France and Germany, have done a lot of talking and a lot of thinking about critical mineral supply chain security feeding the energy transition. So there's a lot more data and understanding than there was before. And similarly, as has been the case in the US, there's a lot of awareness of how important it is. However, even more so than in the US, where there have been some very important legislative moves, such as IRA, in Europe, there's not a hell of a lot. They've, they've done quite a lot with respect to supporting and financing battery manufacturing capacity growth. There have been very little tangible engagement in metals and minerals and, you know, either mining or processing. There's a lot of good talk, but a lot less functionality with respect to actual action that moves the needle from a European Union view. From yeah, a point of view, the players, you know, the BWs, the Stellantis's and, you know, the North Volts and the other partners in, in battery cell and battery pack manufacturing again they're in very similar position to the north americans you know they're all you know starting to, starting to get their head around the supply chain and starting to see how they need to engage in it in order to feed their programs and survive but they're probably two or three or four years behind where they should be yeah i think that's exactly sort of my perspective on the european approach to the, to the batteries so just, I guess, affirmative to get the same perspective. I was hoping maybe there's more going on that I that I wasn't aware of. So on the U.S. you know case, I mean, we were basically more or less asleep doing nothing on this for for a while. Now we've got the IRA. There's two big components of it: battery supply chain related. One is the consumer tax credit, which you know, in a couple of years, you will not be able to get the tax credit at all if you're if you have an EV with 
with battery with a battery that that gets its its min- minerals from from China basically as it's written. But then on the other side, you have the industry side where there's strong financial incentives to set up battery mineral mining sites, refining sites, cell production, pack production. There's incentives each step of the way. Do you see that? Uh, I would leave the first one on the side, but you can of course comment on it, but I think it's sort of straightforward, but on the, on the, on the stimulus side, the kind of the incentives for the tax credits mm-hmm. for setting up production, do you see that as m- making a big impact already? What's your perspective on it in the short term and in the longer term? No, it'll certainly make a big impact and it's an enormously important um, step in the right direction. So it's, it's more significant than, than I'm, Possibly any other country has, has um, you know, action any other country has taken. So it's it's very significant and very very valuable. It's going to be very, it's going to be somewhat complex in its implementation, and it'll be interesting to see how efficiently it's implemented and regulated, which because it's not that simple, but it's certainly a, a very valuable attempt to accelerate the balancing of China's dominant position in the space, which is absolutely essential to preserve and grow U.S. industrial competitiveness, growth, jobs, you know, climate change mitigation and everything else we, you know, feel is very crucial to to protect the world that we want our children and grandchildren to live in. And then what's TechMets? What's, what's your role in all of this? Well, we, as I say, we're an investment company that, raises equity and invest equity in private projects and private companies that produce or process or recycle these critical minerals. So we have been a primary funder of, in our view, the foremost direct lithium extraction from geothermal brines company in California, Energy Source Minerals. We're the primary funder of a next generation lithium ion battery recycling company in Texas, Momentum. We are the primary funders of a battery or cathode manufacturing technology and battery manufacturing technology company out of Dayton, Ohio, um, Zerion. We have effective control of U.S. vanadium, which is the biggest United U.S. vanadium specialty chemical producer with two plants in, in Arkansas. And, and the reason for us doing that is because we're not just, the energy transition is not obviously just electric vehicles. You know, for us to facilitate the next phase of wind and solar we need on-grid and off-grid battery systems and increasingly lithium-ion batteries, which are the dominant battery technology in renewable energy systems, are firstly not as suitable as certain other alternatives like vanadium redox flow batteries for a range of use cases and increasingly are not going to be available because you know they're not going to be enough metals to build lithium-ion batteries sufficient for electric vehicles let alone for on-grid and off-grid renewable energy systems. So, you know, we are that's the reason why we're doing vanadium and we produce the electric batteries in Arkansas. We're also building a big nickel cobalt project in Brazil. We have tin and tungsten mines in Rwanda. We're building nickel um, lithium production in the UK in Cornwall, both from hard rock and brine-based resources. So that's what we do, TechNet. You know, we build in alignment with US interests production capacity for these critical minerals. Uh, unfortunately, the world needs 50 of us yesterday. 
So we're in a great position to make a lot of money because these metal prices are going to go up higher and stay up for longer for all the reasons we've discussed. So, um, you know, our shareholders are very unhappy, including, are very happy, including the US government through DFC. Uh, we also have a, have a trading and marketing and supply chain management platform for all of these specialty metal chemicals out of Geneva in partnership with Mercuria, one of our shareholders who are one of the biggest global energy and commodity trading groups. So we're doing what we can to scale these supply chains to do with highest G standards, to do with low carbon footprint as you know, a provider of materials and services to the OEMs and others. But we're a private company, you know, of, of limited capacity. So we certainly intend to do a lot more of what we're doing and doing it much bigger. But, um, you know, we do need a lot of competition. It's a really relatively unusual stance where we would like competition for the mm -hmm. sake of the world. We'd like 20 or 50 people doing what we're doing. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're doing a lot. I mean, it's it's striking when I think about other conversations I've had on these topics, it's often with people who are like pleading for people like you, companies like yours to to get it, to jump in and be like, yeah, come on, the, the, the water's warm, get in here. Uh, yeah. It's funny that even you are, are saying the same thing uh, for, for even competition in the industry. Well, I, it's interesting, you, you're sort of spread across, you know, more traditional established minerals and, and mining operations and then more cutting edge, like, uh, you know, hit or miss potentially um, innov innovative and transformative uh, approaches and technologies and companies. How do you, you know, you mentioned that your industry is sort of littered with, with projects that were, that don't live up to their, to their hype. How do you go about, it's a very hard thing, I imagine, to try to evaluate whether to invest in one, one company or project or another, when a lot of them are, are really at an early stage of development and innovation how do you sort of approach approach that for these different industries? Yeah, unfortunately, the big global mining companies, the Rios and Anglo-Americans and BHPs of this world, are largely absent from these metals because historically the scale of the projects and the markets haven't moved the dial for them sufficiently to justify time and attention because you can't deploy a billion dollars in rare earth metals or vanadium or tin or, you know, tungsten and certain other of the critical minerals. You can to an extent in nickel, you can to an extent in lithium, but so they're not really in our space. They're, they're trying to be in, in in our industry and they're recognizing they're missing out on the biggest metals and mining boom of our generation, but they're behind the curve at, at the present time, you know, they're, they're trying in a few instances. The Chinese are everywhere in a dominance, so you can invest in the Chinese, but that's a different skill set and worldview, it's very difficult. So you let, unfortunately, our industry has been largely dominated by junior and mid-tier listed mining companies in Canada, on AIM in London and Australia, which have been quite vibrant sectors historically, but generally dominated by companies that are badly run and badly managed, who are promoters rather than project builders. And there are exceptions, and there's some great junior companies building great projects, but the industry as a whole is not a reliable sector to either invest in because these are very volatile markets or to rely on to actually develop projects because most of them are selling stories and raising money and moving on to the next story. So, you know, and, and these are the reasons why I created TechMed in 2017 as a private, pro private vehicle to 
you know, bring in equity and actually focus on building projects and executing, you know, across the middle portion of the supplies chain for these metals going into batteries and other energy transition technologies. And that's what we're doing. So it, it's an un, it's a surprisingly not empty space because there's a lot going on and there's some sizable lithium companies doing a great job that aren't Chinese and, and some big nickel producers. But across a lot of our metals, it's remarkably ill-served sector relative to the demand growth that is inevitable. That's really and a lot of these metals are very difficult to invest in themselves. You know, these are not transparent liquid markets, terminal markets. You know, they, again, nickel is, tin is to an extent, though, you know, with limited liquidity. But a lot of our metals, there's no terminal market. They're not, they don't trade on the London Metal Exchange. They're very difficult to invest in in terms of physical metal or, or for most of these, these, these metals. Really interesting perspectives. Uh, I love, you know, I'm hearing uh, a lot of things that I've heard before, but then also you're sort of opening new doors and new windows into this this industry. Uh, the <laughs> the concerning thing is that it always ends up the same story. There's not enough investment. There's not a lot, enough long term yeah. investment. It's it's at a sort of it's still at a quite a nascent stage for a lot of this, but it's exciting to hear what you're doing, what your role is in it. We have to follow more closely and get more write up some some stories on on you to better understand you and perhaps stimulate more of that competition you're asking for and do you have any final comments we've talked a lot a lot about a lot of different aspects of this but is there anything that we missed or you want to return to or emphasize to close no i just think you know the one thing that i would like to emphasize is the fact that this is not only a key concern for the efficient execution and further evolution of the energy transition and hence climate change mitigation, it is probably the key constraining factor limiting the extent to which we as a as a world are going to successfully reduce the impact of climate change. So I think we need a lot more, you know, there's a lot of more government attention and prioritization and action than there was historically in the US and elsewhere. There's a lot more awareness on the part of OEMs and others as to critical mineral supply chain security implications. There's a lot more awareness on the part of investors, but we need to go to a whole nother level. The whole world of climate change, impact investing, ESG-related uh, funding sources need to wake up to the fact that we're not going to have an EV revolution, renewable energy systems without the metals that go into these technologies. And we're not going to have adequate supply of these metals without tens and, in fact, hundreds of billions of dollars going into new capacity in an industry that hasn't historically been fashionable and is considered to be potentially dirty, even though it doesn't have to be and we're not, in order for us to succeed. So we're, we're, we're beginning to do that, but there's a lot more education that's necessary in order for the world to understand the elements of the world that need to understand. In fact, everybody does. People on the street need to because they need to be demanding that their pension funds invest in mining and their unions need to be demanding that car companies invest in mining other than they're not going to have jobs and students need to be kind of demonstrating to demand that their university endowments invest in mining. Otherwise, we're not going to have climate change mitigation really accelerate what we all need to do at all different elements of this equation to succeed in scaling our industry in terms of 
scale, size, standards to you know successfully feed the EV ecosystem, renewable energy systems, and everything we need to see succeeding in order to have a safe, sustainable, clean world for our children and grandchildren. Yeah, I'm hundred percent sold. That's why why we went ahead and had you on the on the podcast instead of someone talking about another topic. And I think it is uplifting that that OEMs and governments are getting more into this. But as you said, it looks like there's much more needed. So hopefully, we'll check back in in a in a half a year or or sooner or or, or so and uh, have more positive trends to to highlight. But thank you for talking with us today. Have a good day over there in. Uh, in London. Have a good evening, I should say. Great. No, well, thanks very much, Zach. It's been a pleasure to talk. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.